It's morning. It's a show. Sometimes it's about woodworking. It's the Woodworking Morning Show. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. I feel like <laughs> I was laughing like uh, Muttley. Yeah. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's the morning show. I'm Mark. And I'm Nicole. We're in a special kind of happy mood today. Oh, we had a great day yesterday. I can't remember the last time that day was so great. Yeah. Well, pre-March, Yeah. I would say. <laughs> yeah, it was actually a nice day out with yeah. the family. So yep. uh, that's what we did. We went to a little pumpkin patch. I just needed to buy nursery. some pump. I, I wanted to buy We have this local nursery, and they sell pumpkins cheap. So I'm going to get some pumpkins for the kids. Got to love them cheap pumpkins. <laughs> cheap pumpkins. Now the whole back of the car is loaded. <laughs> loaded down with, with pumpkins. tiny little pumpkins. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, by the way, I'm Mark. We already did that. You, no, we didn't. Yeah, we did. I don't think we did. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to rewind it, and I'm going to double check. And when I find out that I'm wrong... The chat room is going to support me because I remember saying, Did we I'm introduce Nicole. ourselves? Yes. What's wrong with you? We're, we don't know what to do when we don't have our kids Nicole, I, uh, I'm getting older. <laughs> Memory isn't quite what it used to be. <laughs> okay. Well, hey. Uh, hey. Good morning. Let's yeah. do some woodworking questions. We well, also have a, a couple things to... Just little yep. announcements and uh, thank yous as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brian W., our Byron... And the uh, chat room just said, just purchase the SketchUp tutorial. Today is the last day for the Today discount. Today is the last day. Don't it miss is. it. I'm actually, after we're done here, I got to go to the computer and I got to push all of the videos live. So all of the videos in that series, boom, will be ready for you. It's going to be pretty awesome. Did you do the reminder on Instagram like I asked you to? Uh, no. I was preparing for we're this. Terrible. I was preparing for the morning show, Nicole. <laughs> you know, this doesn't just happen on its own. So my suggestion. Yeah is to let people know today's the last day on Instagram. <laughs> and then, you know. Well, let's do that. Okay. But this is the morning show. <laughs> so and, we're uh, reminding you too. Yeah. <laughs> Unless okay. you're watching it later. I also want to thank some people who helped us out. Uh, people who went to patreon.com slash woodwhisperer or right on YouTube. If you are on a desktop, you'll see that little uh, join button there. That's actually their membership feature. It's a lot like Patreon. It's a way for you mm -hmm. to support the show. Uh, help us do what we do if you like what we do here. And we always appreciate that. I want to thank... Thomas Bessman, er, uh, Kim Erickson, Chuck Wells, Fleur de Lune. I want to say her name. If it, Fleur I think, de Lune. Um, Fleur de Lune. Yes. Oh, that's a beautiful name. Uh, Justin Priest. So thank you so much, everybody, for helping us out. We appreciate it. And you also help us out just by being here, watching, participating. I got questions from people who were on Patreon. Mm -hmm. Nicole's going to get questions directly live in the chat room. So I I sit there and I look at the chat room and I say, is that a question or is that a joke? Or is that a I question for Mark or is, is that, that a question for someone else? <laughs> okay, so we got the uh, the teriyaki yes, sauce. Do you Doug. guys remember the teriyaki thing? Doug, you're amazing. Yeah, I, I so, got this box. I, I opened it yeah. and I'm like, what's in here? And it's like so packaged so well and so like well, bubbly. It was a big ass glass it's jar. It's a mason jar. A of, glass mason jar full of teriyaki so, sauce. So, Doug, I hope you're in the chat room because I want I said, I don't think it needs to be refrigerated. refrigerated. And yeah. Mark's like, no, I think we need to refrigerate it. So, we refrigerated it. <laughs> Well, I refrigerated it after I opened it, too. Ah, uh, yeah. What I didn't tell you was while you were out the other day, 
with Ava. You uh-huh. guys went somewhere. I had to make some lunch. So I just grabbed a frozen salmon yeah. filet from the freezer, uh, thawed it out real quick, and cooked it up. And I made myself a little salmon teriyaki with white Ooh. rice for lunch. I and saw the, the rice. I wasn't sure what was going well, on check there. Check this out. Basically, you do I did a quick marinade on it, right? And then I baked it at 400 degrees, right? And then it starts to caramelize a little bit. But I took the marinade, the leftover marinade from the sauce. And I, I put it on it. in a saucepan. I reduced it down to a thick, syrupy mm-hmm. consistency. Holy crap. It was like brown liquid crack. Uh, Doug is in the chat room. He says, it doesn't, but that's okay. So Thank I was you, right. <laughs> no, no, no. I was right. Let me ask you this, Doug. Will it last longer in the refrigerator? Yeah, yeah. Because it's practically like a gallon of teriyaki sauce. It's amazing, yeah. The longer it lasts, the better for me. So um, you want to read what he... Because it it's nice that he sent that to you. It was delicious, though. He says, I grew up in Hawaii and I learned this teriyaki recipe when I was 18, uh, 53 now, and have made it for many years. A friend of mine was joining the Marines and his family had a luau for him. Oh, cool. It was the best teriyaki I ever tasted. I asked his mom for the recipe. I've made this in restaurants that I've worked at in Oregon, and customers would bring me empty bottles to fill. <clears throat> it's a simple <laughs> recipe. I don't want to go through the yeah, whole thing. Yeah. But thank you, Doug. Yeah, thank you, Doug. It was delicious. And I did uh, face my fears of, of food from strange places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that you're strange. I mean not here in my house. <laughs> That's what I mean. I'm, I'm kind of scared of the world. Yeah. It's all very frightening to me. Hey, we just got a super chat from Michael Donovan. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Michael Donovan. Can I get a legend woodcraft shout out? Well, sure. You just got one. I think he has a question for us, too, on Patreon. He does, and unfortunately, I'm not going to answer it. No? Well, his question was another... Remember how last week we had the guy who cut down some trees and was going to get rich on selling slabs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's another pricing question, and Michael, unfortunately, that's not my forte. Like, for me, I price things the way anyone would price things. That's to look at the market, see what the market will bear, look at where your material falls within that hierarchy and try to price it that way. You're answering his question. Uh, Well, I'm giving him the most generic (laughs) advice possible. Uh, But really, honestly, it's it's tough because it's so regional. Sometimes the market is so saturated with with this type of thing that it's hard to sell. Right, so uh, it's okay. I have a backup question from him. Okay, he, he messaged it to like me. Like a good backup question, Nicole. <laughs> Did you oh, want to say to... thank you to? Um, this is Art. I had an uncle Art. Yeah. Um, I had a class in school named Art. from BarMillsModels.com. What? You had a what? <laughs> Sorry. You totally missed it. Because no, I'm focused on reading. I said art. I had a class in school named Art. Ah, uh, yeah. It was a pretty good joke. I thought. It's okay. It's a dad Me joke. personally. Show, show oh. the cool uh, model that he sent us because we're going to do this with the Mateo <sighs> art. Um, encloses a wooden model. Let's see how good you really are. This uh, this has got to be a heck of a lot easier than a guild project. Yeah, I, I would say so. <laughs> oh, thank you, Art. Do, is his, so I'm I'm guessing he makes these because it's barmillsmodels.com. Barmills scale model yeah. works. That's really cool. Love me a good scale model. Yeah, we're going to have fun with uh, that. You know what? Ava might even build it. Yeah. She's getting into lots of buildings. You see how finicky it is. Sometimes a model like that might take a little bit more... Finesse. Finesse and yeah. dexterity. There you go. So thank you, Art, for for that. Colorado you, Mohawk uh, just would like to say that it was a great joke. So Thanks, Colorado thank Mohawk. Thank you, Colorado Mohawk. Don't don't encourage it. Now you got me wanting a mohawk, though. <laughs> I, I could be a Colorado mohawk. Yeah, you could. It wouldn't look very good, but I could. Um, okay, so what else? Oh, oh. t-shirts. Guys, oh, yeah. T-shirts. 
It's been so long since we've sold t-shirts. I don't just with my mom moving, bouncing from Arizona to Jersey, back to Denver. Yeah. Um, we finally are getting t-shirts made. And not just a couple t-shirts, guys. Look at this. Hold on. Look at this. Oh, what, where'd you go, Nicole? I'm a t-shirt. <laughs> Look at me. I'm a t-shirt. <laughs> um, TWWstore.com is where you're going to want to go to get these. We have a Wood Whisperer t-shirt, a Wood Whisperer Guild t-shirt, Nobody which wants, also says Nobody wants that. On the sleeve. Nobody wants what? We want the woodworking morning show shirt. Oh, I see. <laughs> uh, the, there's the Wood Talk shirt, which you can tell is kind of in that classic baseball all-star logo. It's actually called, uh, you'll see right above the Wood Talk word, it says, Inside Joke All-Stars. Nice. <laughs> and then, of course, the woodworking morning show. That's the shirt that I have on now. Actually, I don't know if the color is going to be exactly the same. This is the shirt Nicole made for me, but it is the uh, same logo with the little Colorado sun there peeking over the mountain. Uh, TWWstore.com is where you can go for that. Uh, and I will also mention that we have a bundle. That picture you see there represents uh, the full bundle if you can't of decide, all four shirts. Right? right? And you get 10% off if you, uh, if you use that bundle. Okay, There you go. So these are on pre-order right now. Uh, you have until the end of this month to get your pre-order in, and then they will ship late November. Uh, plenty of time for Christmas, but you know we will be carrying these shirts later. But right now, just a pre-order, okay? And if you do place that order, try to just buy the shirts. Don't combine it with something else because then it confuses the shipping, and and my mom gets all upset about it, and it's a whole thing. And, I get, <laughs> and then I get texts telling me, I can't believe this person didn't read what we wrote. I'm like, well, mom, people don't read. Yeah, people do not read. We don't. I've I've been guilty of that too. I don't read. Every time you text me, I'm like, I don't know what that is. That's a string of uh, characters yeah, I was, that I was, mean nothing to me. I was supposed to bring your mom eggs, and you didn't read it. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you, I don't know. Are you watching the show in the middle of the show? I'm not watching the show. It so just, meta. It just started. You should send me a super chat so we could talk. <laughs> okay. Yoso wrote in. He says, after a couple of years using your miter saw station, do you find yourself using both T-tracks? Would you put in both if you rebuilt the miter saw station today? I probably would. Yeah, uh, I like having both. The idea with the double track is that I could use one that's in line with the work or put something behind the fence location so that I could have like a flip down stop or I could actually use them both together. And that's actually what I'm doing right now. So sometimes if you've got a big eight quarter board, right, and you're sliding that across, it doesn't take much for that big heavy board to just smack whatever stop you have in place just kind of smack it out of the way or maybe even bend something. So it is nice to be able to clamp on both of those T-tracks with a little wood bar across, and that's not going anywhere, right? So that's actually what I'm doing right now. So I think if I did it, I would, because it's, it's, you know, for the in the long run, T-track isn't the cheapest thing in the world, but it's not that expensive in the long run. Uh, and, and it's like, put it in now, it's there if you need it. If you don't use it, no big deal. Somebody's asking what style of t-shirts. I thought, I, I know we put the Bella canvas in the stylish fit, but isn't the classic fit, fit Gildan or something? I forget. I think so. I think so. Yeah, so my there, mom would know. Yeah, it needs to go in there. Well, so I, I kind of did those as, as well as I could, but sometimes. What is that? Why does that buy now button look like that? I don't know. We've got to get rid of that. I don't know. Uh, what am I doing? Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, Andrew had a question. Andrew Slaughterback. It says, I know it's probably very dependent on lots of different factors, uh, but are there any rules of thumb for acceptable moisture content for wood before using? Typically purchasing kiln-dried wood, uh, so maybe not a real factor, but I do like to check before I use it in a project or it has sat in my shop for a few weeks or years and while I'm milling down the parts. 
Okay, so general consensus, you know, amongst woodworkers, if you're working with kiln-dried stock, is you're looking at between 8 and 11%. Some people get pickier about it, and they want it to be specifically, they don't touch it till it's 8% or 7%, right? Uh, but within that range is generally considered acceptable. Uh, you know, I think most of us, if you're buying from a reliable source, you can usually just buy kiln-dried stock, and if you let it sit in your shop for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, if you just don't have time to get to it, you probably don't have to check the moisture content, but I, I see where you're going. You just kind of want to be aware of what's happening, right? That could be super useful information depending on the time of year. So I would say aim for that 8 to 11% range and you're probably fine. Mm. The key though is if you are in a place like, let's say you're in Arizona or even Denver where it gets drier, most of the time, you know, you're going to find that the wood, once it sits around for a while, is on the lower end of that scale. Uh, but if you're in a place that's super humid, maybe down in the southeast, uh, you may wind up at being on the higher end of that scale. So it's kind of important to know what your shop general humidity causes the wood's moisture content to be over time. And that's the number you're aiming for. Your mom's in the chat and she said, the class is, classic is equal to Gildan. We might want to put that in there. <laughs> What's equal to Gildan mean? The shirts. Right. The type of shirt. Oh, she's using equals yes. as a shorthand. Yes. Because I'm like, it's it's like Gildan. Like, is <laughs> no, that what we're supposed to that's say? That's the brand that is the shirts. <laughs> <clears throat> well, you it know, it's, it's not a Rolex, yeah. but it's like a Rolex, Nicole. <laughs> uh, so it is Gildan. William Nelson has a question. Do yeah. you have any resources or books to recommend for building per person doors, i.e. bedroom, bathroom doors, not cabinet doors? Nope. Nope. Sorry. I don't. Oh, that was easy. That was nope. a, a very easy question. Maybe the chat room might have some suggestions. Yeah, you got a suggestion for entry doors and interior doors, a book or resource for mm -hmm. building those? That would, uh, or that even would be a website. A big help to who? That's William. Okay, William. Hopefully someone can help you out. With I need them. to put my glasses on, I think. You probably should. You know what? They make things clearer, Nicole. Yeah, yeah. Especially things are when starting you have to, to get a little blurry. I've been rounding a lot. Oh, this is Corey. Corey Pelton. He says, I've been rounding a lot of mortises and the setup time is taking forever for each one. Do you tend to make a template to bump your router against or do you reset your limits every time per mortise or eyeball each one? I'm thinking a quick template is probably the route to go. But before I take the plunge, there's this is like, I don't know if he did this on purpose, but <clears throat> this really is kind of loaded with puns, right? I'm thinking a quick template is probably the route to go, but before I take the plunge, right? That's how we probably- I think, I think he meant it that way I'd like to hear how you would tackle lots of repeated mortises. Okay, well, if I'm doing lots of repeated mortises- It's a mortises, bit troubling. I missed that part. Come on, he's, that has to be Corey yeah. being, being yes. slick. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, I do love it. <laughs> if I'm doing a lot of mortises, yeah, a lot of times I'm gonna make a template. If it's the same mortise or similar size mortises where I can kind of adjust my template uh, to make it a little bit easier. But if we're just talking about a bunch of mortises and a, and a couple of boards, and, and I mean, it just depends on how many we're talking about here, most of the time I will not make a template uh, just because the start and stop points are all I need. So if you've got an edge guide on your router, you've got your depth set, those are two things that are locked in position. Once you have it, you don't have to change it. All you really need to know is where to start and stop that mortise. And most of the time, the start and stop points are not so critical that like they have to be dead on. If you go a little bit over your line, not that big of a deal. So uh, me personally, I just go with start and stop lines and then call it a day. But if I have a ton of similar size mortises where the mortise size is critical, or it's like a through mortise, well, in that case, I definitely am building templates, right? So I think it'll go a lot faster 
if you aren't building templates for everything that you do and just get really good at lining up with your pencil lines. Uh, Mark Nyland says, why do you ignore melamine as a building material? The same reason most other people do. <laughs> I mean, melamine is a very specific material for very specific uses. So what I would never use melamine until I had a project that called for melamine, right? What project would call for melamine? I mean, if you were making cabinets that yeah, you I didn't guess. want to have to worry about finishing, like garage cabinets, uh, it's, yeah. it's a good material yeah, yeah. for. Uh, you know, you could use it as a sacrificial surface, uh, like the top of um, an outfeed table because it's nice and slippery. Um, but ultimately, I don't have much calling for something like melamine. I think he's joking, too. It's Mark uh, well, you didn't read it like it was a joke. I know, but I can't read funny. Sarcasm? I just know Mark. He's in the chat a lot. He's Who been is he? Mark Nylon. Okay. He's been around. I think we've even met. I think you live yeah, in Colorado a, Springs, right? It's a legit question. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, you're just confusing me, Nicole. <laughs> but I think he knows you. Yeah. And I'm assuming, Mark, <laughs> that you meant a little joke in that. <clears throat> okay, Corey's got a question. It's a. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, second part of his question. He says, I'm working with Sapili for the first time and it's burning a lot more than most other hardwoods I've worked with. I'm running my router at 3.5 speed. He's got the Festool OF1400 with a half inch two flute spiral compression bit. That seems to be the sweet spot for producing chips and not dust, but I still get some smoking embers after light passes. Mm. It's a bit troubling. Troubling. <clears throat> Troublesome. Okay, that's why I didn't read that, because that wasn't on the other paragraph. Okay. Uh. So, okay. So I thought about this a little bit. Now, Sapili is a, is a pretty hard wood, and if you go too slow, you are definitely going to get burning. So I like the fact that you slowed the bit down a little bit, but you also need to make sure that your feed rate is, you know, don't go dangerously fast, but fast enough that it doesn't have time to burn. If you're still getting burning with what you're doing, the thing that, and I kind of had to think about this for a little bit, the compression bit is the thing that has me a little bit concerned, right? So a compression bit, if you think about a spiral bit, the spirals can either go, you know, this way or they can go this way. And one is an upcut spiral, the other is downcut. So if you have a, a spiral bit in a router and you're using an upcut, think of the spiral being as something that wants to pull those chips out of the hole. The down spiral pushes the chips down into the hole, which can lead to more burning and heat, right? Things that he's dealing with here. A compression bit is like if you, in the simplest terms, if you take the, the up spiral and put it on the bottom of the bit, and then you take the down spiral and put it on the top of the bit, so they're kind of going toward each other. There's strategic reasons to do this, but in his case, it seems like that is just going to really compound the heat and friction and pushing those bit or the the little pieces of wood and the the um the shavings and the dust kind of keeping them in the middle of the bit which i feel like if there's no escape route for that dust you're going to wind up getting extra heat so i actually think what what your experience are in right now sapili <clears throat> certainly is a hard wood that can burn if you're not careful but i think that compression bit might be working against you what you probably want to go toward is a simple spiral upcut bit get the dust as much as possible out of that hole, give it a place to go, and then that might give you better results. <clears throat> uh, let's see. There was something I was going to do. <laughs> Kevin Windsor, thank you for the super chat. If you have a question, let me know. Kevin, uh, thank you. Mark Nyland, we, we've met him. Yeah. He, uh, he's not in uh, Colorado Springs. He's in Fort Collins, and he did mean it as a joke. Okay. So. Okay. <laughs> That's good. It's fine. 
Oh, I got it. I'm going to read. I need, a, I need some emoji yes. to, to help me understand <laughs> jokes, guys. Give me them emojis. Uh, Michael Donovan does have a question. He bought a drum sander, a used Delta 1836, mm-hmm. and wants to go through it to ensure it's tuned. Yes, I wasted about three rolls of paper before figuring things out. Seems, seems okay. Any pointers would be awesome. You know, drum sanders, uh, there's a lot of different ways that you could tackle it. Sometimes people will just take the drum, loosen it up, put the drum on top of something that's, you know, maybe like a uh, 2x4 or a scrap piece of oak or something. I like, rather than a 2x4, I like something that's got some, you know, firmness to it. So a scrap piece of oak is fine. Uh, Make sure it's nice and and, and milled flat and parallel. You drop that down, then you could bring the drum right on top of it and hold that drum in position, then tighten the drum down. That is the quickest sort of no frills way to get the adjustment done, but it's usually not perfect. So at that point, um, you could, if you really wanted to get really down and dirty with this, is get some kind of a um, gauge under there uh, and actually gauge it and see if you could tell where the drum is on one side, then slide it to the other side and kind of make your adjustments until you get that thing level perfectly with the table. It's just a tedious process. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll use the block of wood trick to get pretty close then I will wrap it with sandpaper, and then as I'm running pieces through, I can use a pencil on a piece, uh, either put a wide piece that goes all the way through the whole drum, or take a narrow piece and just kind of move it and see if you can get the same amount of sanding on both sides. Right. So if you, if you run it through the, the right side and you erase all your pencil lines, put the pencil lines back, run it through the right side again, and then you start to see the pencil lines stay, right? Because you sanded thoroughly enough. Now take that piece, put the pencil lines on it again. Take that piece to the left side. What happens? Does it start to just scratch a little bit? Is it completely ignoring the surface or does it dig in? If it digs in, you know that side is low. So it's a little bit of a trial and error process. It's um, not that difficult. Also, not my favorite thing to do. Hey, just, what? not my favorite. Uh, Tyler Levins. Uh, is a Patreon member, and I forgot to give him a shout-out. He had a, a shout-out coming to him, and he wanted me to shout-out his woodworking Instagram account, Desert Fox Woodworking, okay. which I'll put a link in uh, in the chat in the show notes. And I just want to say, Tyler, you have an adorable little girl. Oh, look at her. Aw, adorable. I thought she had bunny ears, but it looks like it's just something <laughs> I think her. it's behind her. <laughs> okay. It looks like our uh, collection of little cars for kids. Yeah, little battery-powered cars. <laughs> so, yeah, check them out. Uh, Desert Fox WW is the uh, Instagram handle if you're looking for a woodworker to follow on oh, Instagram. Cool. So. I'm always looking for more there you go. woodworkers to follow, Nicole. Well, then, I, guess what? Follow back. Boom. You're following Tyler right yeah, now. I'm a follow back boy. I have control of I could get into his Instagram account, too. Yeah, you can. <laughs> as, as evidenced by some of those newsletter things you I know, I know. <laughs> you ever see something that looks like, you know, this that a little bit more posted? It that. was probably That's me. Probably Nicole. Yeah. Okay. Jeffrey Smith. I understand that your space in Denver is smaller than your previous shop. What lessons did you learn adapting to your new smaller space? Hmm? Well... I learned that I can't roller skate in my shop anymore. That's a bummer. (laughs) Mateo Mateo can't come in here and roller skate. Yeah, 1,800 square feet was a lot of space. Uh, You know, I actually did not, once I got all the crap out of here and started to get some organization, um, I found that reducing my shop by, you know, about half wasn't that bad. I mean, I got a lot of stuff in this shop. I had to... You know, there's. I think the biggest lesson is like what tools are absolutely essential and which ones are just nice to have. So something like the big floor standing hollow chisel mortiser, well, maybe I can't have the floor standing version anymore. For as much as I use it, 
the benchtop model was more than enough. So I was able to sell that one downgrade to a benchtop model and it works fine. So I think that was one of the big lessons is learning what things you can get away with bringing up off the floor when floor square footage is at a premium. A drill press might be another example of that, right? If you have a floor standing drill press, it's nice to have, but if you don't use it that often and you don't use all that capacity, then maybe you can get away with putting a benchtop drill press in place and uh, then you don't take up floor space or you put it on a countertop or something, right? Which is already consuming floor space. Um, outside of that, <clears throat> I think I actually am more efficient in the smaller space. So I kind of like it. Um, you know, having extra space is great, but I think the only places I really miss the extra space are uh, wood storage, right? For plenty of plywood storage, plenty of solid wood storage. Well, now it's that's a whole thing. I've got a shed that has some material in it, and I've got some material in the shop, and it just takes up so much room. But I really, you know, wish I had more room for that. Hey, I forgot to mention uh, those of you that follow Mark's barbecue channel, TWWBBQ. Yeah. I've uploaded the first four videos to Amazon Prime. So there's oh, actually, yeah. if you say the Wood Whisperer barbecue. Boom, it's on your TV, just like that. What about TWW Barbecue? They wouldn't let me do that. No? Nope. They wouldn't let me do... In fact, it stopped it from publishing because of the um, the abbreviation. Are they kids They don't home? like initialisms? No, that's probably the oh. neighbor's kids. <laughs> kids home? Yeah. Um, yeah, they didn't like the TWW or the BBQ. I had to spell out barbecue. That's lame. <laughs> just... Whatever. Now it's a super But giant, long now title. people can just say the Wood Whisperer Barbecue and mm -hmm. it goes right to it. So Okay, Jason Stromberg wants to know, are you going to help Matt and Lindsay move? <laughs> Hell no. Aren't they like moving next year? Yeah. I don't think they're moving right away. I don't think right they're away. moving they're, right away. They're going to do uh, some renovations and um, add on. I asked him if he, if he doesn't mind to make sure he gets the right color for my room mm -hmm. that he's uh, building over there. What color did you ask for? Something earth tone and pe peaceful and tranquil. <laughs> you know, our daughter really hates the color of our house. She tells me on many occasions yeah. how she it's too brown she doesn't like it she should uh she should have seen what arizona was like <laughs> every house everything was is brown tan everything is just tan right <laughs> uh, uh tom uh weatherhead this is a cup not a lego cup it's a just one of those color me mine cups that my son did when he was like four or five and i found it in his room and i was like I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that cup. Nice. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. So we got a question from Kim. Kim was one of the people who I uh, shout outed. Oh, uh, Kim. Shouted out. Yeah. I shouted out at the beginning of the show. Kim says, I'm new to your channel. I live in Tasmania. Wow. Australia. Uh, most likely fast asleep when the show airs, but hey, I might get up at 2.30 a.m. I'm currently planning to build a workbench assembly table with... Uh, and incorporate my job site table saw. I'm looking at using MDF for the top. The dimensions are 1200 by 1200. It's about four by four for us Americans. Uh, I want to add a vise and dog holes down one side. So I was thinking about making half of the bench thicker. That would be about two sheets of 600 by 1200 MDF glued to the top sheet. Uh, do you see any problem doing it this way or should I make it all three inches thick? So she's from Tasmania. <clears throat> yeah. I want Is Tasmania small? Because I... I follow a comedian. It's about the size of Jersey, Nicole. <laughs> Hannah Gadsbury. I'm wondering if you, uh, is it so small that you would know her? Uh, anyway. Probably not. You should probably answer a question. <laughs> but just, just for the, you know, if anybody lives in London, so does my brother, so you might run into him. You never know. I, you never know. If you, you see him, It could say be a hi. small town and like everybody knows everybody kind of thing. Sure. 
Now I'm curious to learn more about Tasmania. Okay, well, Google it and see what happens. Well. What's the population of Tasmania? <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, normally I want my tops to be all one thickness. If it's not one thickness, things just kind of get more complicated because you either have to add those sheets above, so now it's kind of in the way, or in your case, you're probably going to have to add the sheets below, right, because you need that big work surface to be flush with the top of your table saw. So then when you are making the cabinet that supports all this material, what's happening there? You have to have some kind of an offset to allow for that, that drop down in thickness. Uh, also, you know, well, in, in working against this, it, you know, so let me step back. Normally, I would say, yeah, just do the whole thing. It's not that big of a space. It's only four by four. Go for one thickness. I think you'll be happier in the end. But my problem with this particular project is you're using MDF. That's three inches of MDF. That's heavy. That's really heavy. And I don't think you're going to like doing that. Even just moving that thing around, I hope you got help. Because a 4x4, four 3-inch four, thick piece of MDF is going to be a, a beast to move around. So I am definitely favoring the side of things that says go with the, um, you know, just one section being thicker. But you're going to have to think how to accommodate that in the base that holds this top. And it's still going to be heavy. Not as heavy as the full thing, but it's still going to be pretty darn heavy. So... Um, MDF is not necessarily my favorite material for something that you're going, going to be putting hardware into, like dogs or vices. You may consider moving to something like plywood. I think that would do a better job of, of sort of resisting the metal parts and the screws and, and just giving you more bite uh, on those things. But there may be reasons you're going with MDF that, that I don't know about. So Kevin Windsor did a super chat earlier. Yep. Here's his question. Okay. Trying to cut a bevel on the end of a board with a sliding miter saw by tipping the head. The cut comes out curved, not square to the fence. I'm thinking the blade is deflecting because it's entering on the edge. Capex with a festool blade, maybe a stiffer blade, question mark? Right here. Yeah, let me reread that. I hate when I put all this effort to pronouncing every word correctly and you still have to reread it. So he's got the capex with the festival yeah. blade. Well, uh, that I don't know. I don't know. It could. I mean, certainly a different blade might help. Um, you know, my first capex. This one doesn't seem to do it. But the first capex before I had sold it, uh, when I would do a wide cut, we're not even talking about you know any kind of weird bevels or anything like that. Um, just a wide cross cut. I would take that end piece, and while it was generally square to the edge. If you actually hold it up and look at the light, I would actually see a little bit of a dish in the middle of the workpiece. And I never knew how to resolve that. Uh, it was just something that I lived with. That kind of sounds like what you're experiencing there. Now, why it only occurs on the bevel, I don't know. Um, but, I mean, if the, if the workpiece is clamped and you know that that's not moving and you're taking your time and letting it clear the chips, um, the, yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know. What you also may try doing is sneaking up on it a little bit, right? So you make your first cut and then nudge it maybe another 64th of an inch and try to make that cut and see if it cleans it up a little bit. But mm -hmm. I don't really have a great answer for you, man. Sorry. <clears throat> see, I got a question here from uh, Mr. Po Posky. Uh, I have a radial arm saw and Ooh. the dust collection only works if I push the saw through the workpiece. But everything I see says pulling the saw is the proper method to making a cut. Your thoughts? I think safety counts yeah. more than the dust. the dust collection. Yeah. So use the radial arm saw exactly as it was designed to be used. 
Um, if the dust collection is not as effective, then that's just something you're going to have to live with or, you know, possibly modify the dust collection in some way. But that's very dependent on the saw and your ability to, you know, make little dust shrouds and things like that. But Those radial arms all scare me. I don't like the look of them. Yeah, used properly. Yeah, fine. I know. They still just... I've watched too many scary movies. I guess so. <laughs> you must have. Uh, but yes, uh, cutting direction and feed direction on a radial arm saw is, I think, the most important element of using it. So it is what it is. Do you, do you, <clears throat> did you watch scary movies as a kid? Hell no. I mean, I did, but that's also why I don't, why I know that I don't like scary movies. Yeah. I liked them when I was younger. Yeah. They were exciting. We took, uh, when we went to go get the pumpkins, there was like a little prompted, a little pop-up haunted house at the nursery. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was empty, so we just walked through it during the day. <laughs> and it's, it's a lot less scary, though, when the sunlight's picking It scared through. the kids. Yep. The kids were like, <laughs> what is going on? The first time. But by the third time, they were fine. You know, I follow a few woodworkers who really get into making Halloween props. And yeah. I look at their Instagram pictures. I'm like, man, why doesn't Mark do this? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know what I'm doing with my time. <laughs> okay, Ryan Murray says, since you've moved away from wiping varnishes, can we expect a hard wax oil shootout video in the future? I'd like to see the differences in performance between most of the brands. <clears throat> okay. I have trouble explaining why I don't think I'm going to do this. And I was even asking Nicole about Oh, is this. this the wax thing? Yeah, earlier today. I was trying to figure out how do I explain this. Okay, so there's a couple of reasons. Number one, some of these companies are really sensitive. <laughs> I mean that emotionally. Yes. They're really sensitive. <laughs> They're very connected to their product. And holy crap, you say something bad about them, watch out, right? I don't want to be on Not the, even the receiving bad. end. Not Just truthful. Anything remotely critical, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, you know, most companies that, that you know produce products... I think they have a little bit of shielding between the person who created it mm -hmm. and the person who deals with the social media. Uh, some of these companies do not do that, right? So it's a, a quagmire giggity, mm -hmm. and I don't know that I necessarily want that in my life. No. Reason number two, a lot of these finishes are very, very specific about how you apply them. In fact, if you simply apply them based on the instructions, and then you get a bad result, someone from that company will tell you that you applied it incorrectly. Mm -hmm. And then someone else on the internet will tell you, oh, well, what you needed to do was use a uh, 16th inch nap roller and, uh, and this and blah, 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 blah. There's like a hundred ways to apply these things. The thing is, most of these finishes are from the flooring and building industry. So when we apply them to furniture, in a lot of cases, furniture makers are left trying to figure it out. So everybody kind of has their own system. You got people who sand to a thousand grit before they apply it. Then you got someone who only sands to 220. So when you're do, like to do a test like this, there has to be some kind of consistency in how we apply it across the board so we can compare the finishes fairly, right? That's really difficult to do in the world of hard wax oil finishes. Uh, and the third reason is because hard wax oil finishes as a category are not incredibly protective, they are not a thick layer of, of film, you know, going on top of the wood. Um, so they are a class of finishes where the results in terms of protection, durability, all that stuff are kind of all the same, right? They all have maybe a little bit of a difference between them. Some you might be able to build a little bit of thicker finish of wax on there. Some just maybe a very in the wood grain sort of finish, but they all fall into a category of not very protective finishes. And I mean that in terms of film versus no film, right? But could you compare them side by side of just what they are? 
Yes, like if someone was just curious like what makes Osmo, Osmo a Rubio. little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you could certainly do that. But when people are asking about durability, yeah. you know, how long does it take to, you know, before you have to reapply right. some of the finish. Uh, th- this is all, a lot of it is just steeped in mystery and how it's applied. And then you do it one way and someone's going to tell you, well, the reason you got that result was because you applied it incorrectly. Uh. I don't want any part of that. Well, Jack said that the you know good I mean? part is... Uh, about your shootouts, you are the control. We can't afford to buy the multiples and test them. So Right, but what I'm telling you right now is all of these decent hard wax oils, I'm going to tell you basically your, your Osmos, your Rubios, your um, Odie's oil, uh, anything that's in that hard wax oil family is going to be about the same in terms of pro- protection, durability, mm-hmm. reapplication, because that's what the class of finishes is all about. Right, so it just there's not as much variability between those finishes. So I'll think about it. I'll continue to think about it. It's something that is definitely something I would do. Right, it's something that I typically do. Put your cup on and get ready. But yeah, that literally is like, all right, boys, hit me in the nuts. Because <laughs> it, if it's not from the companies, it's gonna be for the fans. It would be from the people watching the videos. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we still get like the dust collection shootout that you did yeah that, that that well and the thing is i just the, the the if i could just describe it in a way that makes any kind of sense here it's like doing a finished shootout between pure oils right tongue oil versus boiled linseed oil versus i don't know maybe a polymerized tongue oil or something it's not a very exciting test because they're all oil they all do about the same thing you know what i mean so that we've we've dialed down so far into a niche that there's just not much variability to make these products different from one another right so i don't know it's it's a whole thing <laughs> it's a whole thing <sighs> it's all right and uh, and this that what you're hearing from me is the voice of frustration because a lot of these companies are very good about you know putting out information about how to apply these things to furniture you actually find out more talking to users to see what they actually do, right? If you listen to Rubio, they're going to tell you to stop sanding at 150. Well, the day I send a project out of my shop saying that at 150 is uh, the day pigs fly out of my butt, Nicole. Not going to do it. I sand at 180. Things are fine, right? So, like, let's get some consensus for how to apply these things on furniture. Uh, Gazankt said Odie's Oil had their instructions (laughs) written by the people who wrote the unwritten rules of baseball. Yeah. Well, that, that's where I found that lesson out the hard way. Yes, you did. I said, I just followed the instructions on the bottle. Well, that, you're an idiot. It's like, oh. Okay. Uh, Justin says, about six months ago, I decided to build a loft bed and mistakenly use construction lumber to build it. Oh, My question is, is the project ruined because I used green construction lumber? I hope not. Will Maybe. It, yeah, I mean, you just got to see. You got to see what's going to happen. It's going to dry it's going to... The problem I have, it's a loft bed. Mm-hmm. So is there any chance that it could like come apart? Possibly, but it's secured. I mean, okay. decks decks are made with yeah, that's true. wet lumber, right? And yep. we still stand on them. So it's certainly possible that it could develop problems. You're going to have to watch it. And I would watch mm-hmm. any hardware you use to make sure everything is nice and snug and safe. Um, would it push out like a deck? No, it'll, it'll just shrink, oh, right? Okay. And what will happen is the hardware will get loose if there's any joinery in there, he might have some issues. Mm-hmm. You just got to watch it. It could be okay. It might not be okay. Hey. <clears> I like see. this title for the show today. Hit me in the nuts. <laughs> I don't I don't know if we can do that. No, I think we're going to do that. Okay. What, we can't do that? Look I at don't our know. titles. <laughs> we have the stupidest titles. Sandy has a question. She's a 
She's a YouTube member. Thank you, Where? Sandy. Sandy? Yeah. Sandy Boone. I built a compact Polk Falk workbench. Paul. Polk. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but it is. It's the Polk workbench. Okay. That's... But I didn't, I, okay, I anyway. read, I didn't read the name, I did, but it's called the Polk Workbench. Okay. With the dog holes. For the top, I sandwiched half-inch Luan plywood on top of sheeting. Holdfasts dent into the dog holes. The Luan is too soft. Yeah, this goes back to what I was talking about with Kim's question. Oh. Sometimes sheet goods, and MDF I was talking about specifically, uh, can actually dent. So if you put metal implements in there, like dogs or holdfasts, uh, you could dent into them and cause them to not really hold very well. You just kind of compress those wood fibers. So yeah, absolutely. Something like Luan um, could definitely be problematic and and could dent under pressure. So yeah, that, that could very well be the situation you're dealing with there, Sandy. You have uh, more Patreon? I got more questions. I'm question. done with my Patreons. I got one from Nicholas P. Any tips on how to make a stain or oil finish match between a soft wood and an American chestnut, I used a reclaimed soft wood uh, newel posts that match matched in the design before realizing the post wasn't hardwood. Well, the the whole hardwood versus softwood thing, it kind of just depends on which wood we're talking about. Um, the bottom line is you can't really make woods look like each other unless the grain matches up, right? So if you're trying to make uh, pine look like red oak it's never really going to happen like even if you get the color the same the grain pattern is such that they're just never going to match so it kind of depends on which woods you're working with but making them look like they belong together is always going to be a challenge minimally try to get the colors to look the same if you need to put a little bit of a dye in there to get the one piece to look a little closer in color that will help disguise it but it's never going to make the grain look the way it should. So unfortunately, I don't know that there is a good way to do that because um, what are you, you're not going to put faux grain lines mm -hmm. through it, right? So if the grain doesn't match, you're kind of dead in the water. Did you get Patrick's <clears throat> question? Did you write about the mortise chisels? Nope. I did have one more question. Yeah, you did. So Patrick wants to know, do you recommend buying mortise chisels or buy a better set of bench chisels? Well, if you already have a set of bench chisels and they're not garbage, if you can make them sharp and, and use them, don't buy another set of bench chisels. Get the set of chisels you don't currently have that you might find useful, right? Mortising chisels are really only useful if you're making mortises or you're doing deep sort of cuts where you need that extra, that extra meat in that chisel. Uh, and mortising chisels are great for that. Um, I have them. I don't really use them that often, but sometimes they're nice to have. So if you think you need mortising chisels, I say get the mortising chisels, keep your other bench chisels nice and sharp, and maybe later on down the road upgrade. I always recommend, this goes for power tools or hand tools, satisfy a function that you don't currently have before you upgrade a function you already have, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It does make sense. Well, thank you, Nicole. I thought a lot about this. <laughs> uh, Scott Walsh. Uh, do you fall victim to mm -hmm. temporary projects becoming permanent? I'm making a better temporary router table now to replace my really bad temporary router plank. I'm worried it'll become permanent. Um, no. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. I, I actually don't do temporary things. No. I will do permanent things and change my mind. Sure. Or, or my needs change, and then I have to do something to undo that and redo it later. Ouch. But I don't think I have ever built something 
with the thought that it was just a temporary solution. Because what happens with temporary solutions is they're usually half-assed. Well, and like you said, they kind of become permanent. Though. But then now you live with a half-assed solution. Right, right. right? That's the reason you did well, it temporarily. Well, the DIY desk was kind of that, a temporary solution. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, am I, you know what I'm going to do with that? I'm going to throw them in the garbage when uh, they're not being used yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to put them in the burn pile. Um, <laughs> so I usually don't do that. If I'm going to take the time to build a thing for a purpose, I'd really rather just take my time to build it correctly and build it so it is not a temporary solution. Okay, one, one example. The base on my outfit table, mm -hmm. right there, Nicole. Yep. I built that in that? the Arizona shop, yeah. and I knew I wanted to build something ideally with doors and drawers, something with lots of good storage, but instead I just kind of put this plywood framework together, which just had kind of cubbies in it, and it is the most useless storage solution ever. It does nothing for me. So I think at the time, I kind of was like, well, this is a quick, simple solution. I don't know if I need more than this, but my, in the back of my mind, I knew I really should have built something more substantial, and I didn't. And meanwhile, I still use it, but it is absolutely useless. It, it's so much wasted storage space. Uh -huh. So that is a, an exception to that, um, you know, that I actually did do something like that. And, it's a, and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> and I will be replacing it. Uh, Matthew Lee. Lay. Matthew. I always mispronounce his name. Lee. Nicole. Lee. Look, me and Matthew know how it's pronounced, and that's all that matters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he says, I just got a lunchbox thicknesser with a helical head. What's the best way to test it out and make sure it's performing like it should? Well, I'm going to give you the smart-ass answer here, Matthew. I would say put a piece of wood through it. <laughs> put a piece of wood through it and see what happens, right? I mean, from the factory, it should be ready to go. Um, but what you're basically checking, kind of like I mentioned on a thickness planer discussion, um, throw a piece in and then maybe don't change the setting, but run it through on the other side and see what happens. If you find that it's like chewing up a little bit more on one side than the other, then maybe it needs some kind of an adjustment. But most of the time, those lunchbox planers, do they have uh, adjustments like that? I don't think they do. So uh, so Matthew asked the question and Pete Shop Makes just said, use it. And then he's like, I'm sorry if that came off rude. I'm like, no, that's exactly what Mark just said. So Pete, I'm, I'm sorry. The... I'm sorry if that came off rude, <laughs> but I'm kind of rude. Yeah, honestly, man, you just got to try it out. Um, get your dust collection set on there. Um, make sure you have a nice jointed board that's got a jointed face. Put that face down and uh, put a light pass through there. And if it if it planes just fine, everything looks good, you're good to go. You're good to go. It's ready to roll, baby. I know that uh, that went off, but I have a few questions. Okay. Um, Lawrence says, uh, any th stop. Any thoughts on Woodpecker's new rip flip System fence stop system. What in the hell? I, we haven't about? we haven't gotten that. Woodpeckers from Woodpeckers. Usually they'll send us. Um, is it a one time? I wonder if it's a one time tool. Woodpeckers flip and rip and stop. Flip and flip 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 flip. That's a okay. Track the track flip stop. Flip stop. That's what it says. Uh, okay. Is it a one time tool? Super or is track it? flip stop. No, that doesn't sound like. Huh. It, the, rip and flip. He said that it was the the rip and flip and. <laughs> the flip and ribbon? The rip and flip, rip flip, sips, rip flip system, fence stop system. <laughs> the, flip, the flip rip. Yeah, they're good with these names. Yeah. Uh, there it is. Oh, it's, well, I hear it's flipping brilliant, <laughs> according to the uh, advertisements. Oh, 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 oh. So this is a, um, it's a uh, stop system for the table saw. Gotcha. Okay. I don't know nothing about it, yo. No nothing? 
You know nothing? I don't know nothing about it, yo. (laughs) What I do know is that on my particular table saw... Only for the saw stop currently, Pat says. Okay. Well, that makes sense because they got to kind of... It looks like it goes under Mm. um, the bar. Gotcha. Um, What I will say, though, and just to give you an idea what this thing does, it's a stop that's on the the base, the back end, the user side of the table saw fence. So as you move your saw fence over, you hit those stops, lock it in place, and you can make fine adjustments. Mm-hmm. Fine adjustments at the table saw are great if you can get them to work properly. Uh, one of the problems I would have on mine is the way that the cam handle works on mine. A lot of times, if I have a setting here at the base, it's not until the handle engages that my fence you know, finds its actual straight point. So I'm not sure how well this would work because I could go right up against that stop, but as soon as I tighten down my handle, my fence will straighten out and then I find what the true setting is and I may move away from that stop. So um, I, I could probably, I have to see if there's a way to get some of that slop out of my fence, but I have a point where if I tighten it too much, then I can't slide it back and forth. So it's a little bit of a catch 22. I think that's going to be the um, the wild card with this. Oh, it's so it, it's an intro, in, introductory price. I was thinking it was a one-time tool. No. So I think that's the wild card with this and why it's probably smart for them to only put this thing on a saw stop mm-hmm. because they have control over the system. Gotcha. And the saw stop fence maybe works better than my fence does. Man, I got to tell you, though, look at all those knobs and things a lot on there. Of, I'm looking at one. That's a lot of business, Nicole. Oh, you. <laughs> you little so-and-so. That's a lot of knobs and handles <laughs> to be hanging from your, uh, your table saw fence. Watch your zippers, guys. Might get your, <laughs> might get your fly caught on there. Anyway, I, in other words, I don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a saw stop, so. Yeah, that's why gonna, you're, they'll never send yeah, you you're one. You're not going to see one here. Okay. Uh, no, Olive Press uh, wants to know if getting a domino was worth it for a hobbyist instead of getting a high end doweling jig. Yeah, absolutely. Screw dowels. I mean, if you're going to put 400 bucks, 500 bucks into a doweling jig, just. Get the domino. It's going to save you tons of time. You're going to enjoy it yeah. more. Well, and a lot of people, there's so many different mindsets for this stuff. Oh, hobbyists don't need a domino, right? right? Why would they need a domino? Well, sometimes hobbyists have a very small amount of time. Mm-hmm. And getting a domino is what allows them to actually make furniture uh, instead of just you know worrying about setting up routers and stuff like that. So um, I actually do think the domino would be a good choice. Um, nothing wrong with dowling jigs, but I think if you're going to go for a premium dowling jig, you're like usually more than halfway there. To a domino, just go for the domino. You'll be much happier if the budget is there. Uh, Jack, we'll answer your question over at the after show. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for watching, everybody. Oh, I'll, I'll put the link in the for the Patreon supporters. Uh, we have an after show where we're a little bit more casual. Yeah. Not yeah. as many, not as many yeah, woodworking. Because we're totally not casual right now. Well, we tend to focus on woodworking yeah. here. It's a little off topic in the yeah. after show. Uh, that's for $5 level people and higher if you're interested in that. Uh, members on YouTube and also on Patreon.com slash Whisper. And we will see you in a couple of minutes. Oh, TWWstore.com. Get your t-shirts. Get your t-shirts. You got till the end of the month to get those pre-orders in. So Are we, are we going to... Somebody asked about the Bazinga shirt. Are we going to do that later? I told my mom I want to do it, but it's not in this current initial lineup. Okay. But every time I wear it, I get people saying yeah, they yeah. want it. So Sure. We'll do it. We All will. Right. Okay. We'll see you guys in a little bit. Have a great day. Peace out. Bye-bye. <laughs>